All right, well, uh, I, I get to preach now. I, after uh, all of this, they even let me, uh, let me preach. So this is a really good day for me. And so thank you. First Timothy chapter 4 in your Bible. Let me ask you to open it to that place. First uh, Timothy chapter 4. If you came in today and don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, let me just ask you to see if there's someone sitting close to you that has a copy or if you have one electronically, feel free to... Pull that up, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In just a moment, I want to read over you verses 11 uh, through 16. 1 uh, Timothy uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. The apostle Paul is the human author of this pastoral uh, epistle, this pastoral letter. But he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you know what that means. That makes this God's word for us. And every time we come to it we have the opportunity to hear the voice of God. And so let's see what he would say to us out of this passage on this special occasion. Verse 11, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. At the risk of re referencing college football uh, too much, I um, uh, already mentioned DJ was a college football player. Uh, and I know there are many college football fans uh, as, as I am in the room today. And, and like many of you, I've watched with concern over the last several years. Have there been new developments uh, in, uh, you know, in the game? Things like NIL, name, image, and likeness. Students being able to get income from playing college sports, which they didn't used to be able to do. The transfer portal uh, now, or that's uh, a lot easier for a student to move from one school uh, to another. And it's been particularly interesting to me to watch how that has affected what we've just been through, and that's the bowl season. Uh, it seems like college uh, bowl games are not what they used to be. They're more characterized, it seems, today by empty stands, lower attendance, depleted rosters as... Uh, more uh, athletes are choosing either to go into the transfer portal and go to another school or uh, to uh, hold out at the end of the season to prepare for the NFL uh, draft. There were two contrasting um, uh, uh, scenarios for me in this most recent bowl season that just stood out. Uh, one of them was a sideline interview with a, a very, very well-known uh, quarterback of a, a major university who chose not to play in the bowl game with the rest of his team because he's preparing for the NFL uh, draft. 
And I remember there was a sideline reporter that interviewed him at one point during the game, and uh, the reporter just, just asked him. I know those are awkward moments for those re reporters and not knowing how to phrase things, but, but this particular reporter said, what does it mean for you to be here on the sideline, uh, and what does it mean for your team to have you here with them? And you understand, this guy's not playing in the game. Yeah, he's chosen not to participate in the bowl game in order to get ready for the draft. And so his response to that question was, well, we're family. We love each other. And so that's what it means to support one another and be here for one another. And that's why I'm here on the sideline. And as I listened to him say that, I thought, really? Um, that's your family out there fighting their hearts out on the field in this game and you're standing over here on the sideline because you chose not to play this game with them, we might have a different definition of the word family and what it means to love one another. There was another game in which a similar scenario was there, but there were a couple of athletes that the uh, commentators were talking about that were playing in uh, their bowl game with their team, both projected to go high in the NFL draft. And uh, one of those players was asked at one time, why are you doing it? Why are you not you know, saving yourself and not risking getting injured? Why, why are you out here playing in this bowl game when a, a lot are opting not to play in their bowl games? And, and, and I remember this particular athlete's answer. He said, I just believe that you ought to finish what you start. When I heard that in contrast to another individual who said, you know, no, we're family, we love each other, but I'm not going to play in the game because I don't want to risk getting hurt. I couldn't help but think about how those two views stood in contrast to one another. I want you to think with me this morning about as a congregation, but also uh, pastor GJ, DJ, to you as a pastor of this congregation, what, what it looks like to finish what you started. I think walking through this text of scripture right here, we're really doing two things this morning. One is we're looking back. We're looking back over the last 20 years of your ministry here as pastor. And as I think about that, I couldn't help read this text thinking these things have characterized your ministry. And from that perspective, looking back, I want us to celebrate that this morning. But I think looking forward, these are the same things that it's going to take to characterize your ministry for the next 20 years, or ever how long the Lord should give you. So we want to be looking in both directions. But I just want to remind us this morning that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here is the great apostle Paul writing to a young pastor. And he's putting these things on, on the table under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is not just us saying, oh, wow, thank you for what's characterized your ministry. And here's some challenges. But this is what God says. This is his commentary, or at least one of his commentaries on what pastoral ministry ought to look like. And, and it, it's with great joy that we're able to look at that this morning and reflect on that, on how it's been lived out in the life of this pastor, but also to know how to pray 
for him and for this congregation that those same things would be characteristic of the ministry here in the future. So I think there are more than four, but I'm just going to uh, comment on four characteristic of, I think, a ministry that's characterized by finishing what you started. Um, and some of them I'll, I'll put together just for the sake of time. But let's look at this. Let's be encouraged by it with regard to what God has done in the life of this church and the life of this pastor. But let's also be challenged by these things to say these things, these things must continue to characterize our pastoral ministry moving forward. So here's the first one, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. That is, your preaching is your priority. Preaching is your priority. There are a lot of things that a pastor does. Uh, preaching is, is just one of the many things that he does. But I think when we read the pastoral epistles, and I think particularly this passage of Scripture, right, it becomes evident that preaching is not the only thing that a pastor does, but it better be the first thing that he does. I mean, that is characterized uh, even before where we jumped in, parachuted in. Uh, you'll see this going back uh, uh, to verse 6, you know, when Paul says uh, in there that you're being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. He's encouraging this young pastor, and he, he begins at that point right there by talking about his doctrine and uh, the, the, the ministry of putting that doctrine before the congregation. This is where this text is going to end. If you jump down to verse 16 that I read a moment ago, uh, he, you know, he says right there, keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So it's kind of like it begins and it ends there, but, but it's also characteristic of just about everything Paul says in this passage of scripture. Maybe most pointedly in verse 11, where I think Paul really identifies the content of what he felt like Timothy's preaching uh, ought to be. Notice in verse 11, command and teach, and then look at this phrase, these things. Now, what things is he talking about? Well, I think it's important for us to look from a concentric circle standpoint, starting in the center ear, right in this context. I already mentioned up there, Paul talks about good doctrine, but in verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths that were seeping into the church. They were characterizing the culture as people coming up with dumb stuff and embracing it as if it were truth. And, 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 and so, Paul's writing to Timothy saying, you guard that by the good doctrine, by proclaiming that. So these things include specifically addressing those issues, but we zoom out from there, it means more than that. Most Bible scholars would say that, that Paul uses that phrase to refer to the whole of his teaching. Uh, these things were all of the things that Paul taught, which would include all the things in this book and all of his pastoral epistles. But we zoom out from that. I, I think the apostle Paul uh, was including in these things the whole of the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he's going to say, you find some faithful men, uh, uh, the things you've heard from me, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to some faithful men. And I think Paul is talking about the gospel that Timothy had heard him over and over and over preach. The story of how mankind was created in the image of God, but sin marred that. 
But God left heaven and came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and lived a perfect life, met his own standard for getting into heaven, for salvation, lived a perfect life, took that perfect life to the cross and died there for the sins of humanity, for your sins and for mine. Paul said, you've heard me say this over and over and over again. So these things here are the things of the gospel they're the things of the story of God leaving heaven, coming to earth in pursuit of us and dying on the cross in the person of Christ, in our place, in our stead. So when Paul says, command and teach these things, he's talking about this glorious gospel. If I could just press pause for a brief moment and say to those of you that are here that you, you, you may not have heard that gospel before. You probably have. Maybe not thought too much about it, but as we talk about this being one of the things we celebrate in the life of this pastor, his faithful proclamation of the gospel, there wouldn't be anything that he or anybody else in this room would want more than for today to be the day that you said yes to that if you've never done that. If you've never realized that God did this, he came looking for you, came looking for me, he, he did what you and I can't do, live the life necessary for his own standard, who took that perfect life to the cross and sacrificed there for your sins and mine, took our place, rose from the dead in order to put God's life that we were created for back inside of us. And I would just say to you, if that's you today and you would say, you know, I've never, I've never said yes to that, I've never embraced that. I've never changed my mind about sin and about the person of Christ and trusted him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Let today be your spiritual birthday. The day we celebrate this pastor's, uh, this pastor's 20th anniversary at the church, let it be your spiritual birthday. And I promise you that would be a greater day of celebration for everybody in the room if that were the case. As I pray, if you don't listen to another thing that I say, right there at your seat or if you're watching online, just turn your heart to God and in your own words, tell him, I know that's me. I know I needed a savior and I need a savior today. And today I am trusting Jesus to save me from my sins to forgive my sin and put your life, God, back inside of me. And I hope if that's your prayer today and that's what your heart's telling, you'll tell somebody about it. Maybe somebody you came with or calling one of those numbers or going out there in the foyer after the service and connecting with somebody out there and, and just letting them know, hey, you know what that guy was talking about in there today? I did that while he was talking. I turned my heart to God and I trusted Jesus today. Let somebody come alongside you in that. But faith family, listen, today we celebrate a pastor who's been faithful to give us that gospel week after week to shepherd us in that gospel because he knows that that gospel is not just sufficient, listen to me, to forgive our sins, but that gospel is sufficient for every day of the Christian life to enable us to live the life of God that's now inside of us. And I think when Paul says, command and teach these things, he's, he's including that gospel. Really, he's just talking about everything in that Bible that you're holding, everything in the Bible that I have here. Genesis to Revelation is, this is a gospel book. 
Later in 2 Timothy, Paul would say, all scriptures have been given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then in a few breaths later, he tells Timothy, preach that, preach the word. And one of the things we celebrate today, GJ, is your faithfulness in preaching these things, preaching this gospel, preaching this book. Now look, I want to show you, Paul gets real practical. He not only talks about what Timothy was supposed to preach, but how he was to do it. This ought to sound familiar to you. Look at you. Look at it in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to. Now let me just stop right there and say to you, I want you to think about all the things that he could have said right here. Timothy, if you don't do anything else, until I get there, do this. All of the important things a church does. A pastor does. All the things that all of us think maybe ought to be done. In the, all of the things the Holy Spirit could have said right there. I want you to look at what he says. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. You know what he says right there? He says, devote yourself to this. Read the Scriptures, explain the Scriptures, and compel the people to obey the Scriptures. Read it, explain it, apply it. Simple as that. And just like uh, DJ, you said that there'd be a lot of guys that wish they could plant their lives, uh, you know, in a, uh, a place like this. And you're exactly right about that. There are a lot of congregations out there that wish their pastor would just do that. I've heard some testimonies from some of your own people with um, a couple not long ago and uh, the brother said to me and I'm paraphrasing but he said when we first went there to church at the meal he said I was blown away he said I, I'd never heard anything he said that guy got up there he didn't have any notes he read it and he explained it and then he told us to obey it what a testimony of that what a testimony and all the things that pull preachers and pastors in so many different directions for 20 years, you've been faithful to get up on this stage or one like it and read the Bible, explain the Bible, and compel people to say yes uh, to the Bible. Thank you for your faithfulness uh, to that. Um, this congregation looks more like Jesus today than it did 20 years ago because you've been faithful to that. Your preaching is a priority. Keep it that way, brother. Keep it that way. A lot of things, especially as this church gets bigger, that are going to be on your plate, things that have to be done, but continue to make your preaching of the Bible uh, the first thing that you do and the priority of your ministry. Second, your esteem is earned. Your esteem is earned. Look at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy was a young pastor. Um, and it probably wasn't a whole lot different than when you first came here, straight out of seminary, never pastored a church before, like you said. I, I would guess there are probably some people in the room today that would say, eh, that was me. I, you know, and you can think of some of the things that they're thinking. Thinking, look, we got socks older than you, man. What makes you think you can do this? Our children are same age as you, especially then when part of your role is to get up and do verse 11, command and teach. That can, that can strike some people the wrong way. It's this young guy, you know, that's 
commanding and teaching and exercising the authority that the Scripture, you know, uh, Scripture brings. Well, Timothy had the same problem. But once again, I try to imagine some of the things Paul could have said right there. He could have said to Timothy, let no one despise uh, you for your youth, so keep reminding them that you're the pastor and they're not. Keep reminding them that you just came from the seminary. Uh, and so you know everything uh, because that's what you learn at the seminary. Every, there are lots of things he could have said, but notice how he answers the question. He didn't only tell Timothy, let no one despise your youth. He tells him how to lead them not to despise his youth. This is what he says. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. In speech, in, in, in what you say, in your conduct, how you act, in love and the way you love them, in faith, your confidence and trust in God, in purity, the holiness of your life. I mean, that's incredible. Paul doesn't, he doesn't dismiss the fact that there are going to people that are going to say, man, that guy's young. We got a young pastor and I don't know if he can do this or not. But he says, here's how you earn their esteem. It's not by telling them. I served under a pastor one time in the early days of my ministry and seemed like one of his favorite thing to do was take a text out of context out of the Old Testament and remind the congregation, you're not supposed to touch the Lord's anointed, calling himself the pastor, the Lord's. And, and he, he said that a lot. And so this, this can become a way that a pastor feels like he can overcome the disadvantage. T Timothy, there was some objective thing. Timothy couldn't, he couldn't walk in the congregation and announce one day that he was identifying as a 50-year-old. Uh, just not possible, right? Uh, this was something that was going to take some time and it was going to have to be earned. And Paul says, earn it by setting an example. And brother, you... I wouldn't hear the early days, uh, but I've, I've talked to members, and many of them would give testimony. This is what you did. You didn't flaunt your seminary education over us. You didn't have to remind us that you were the pastor, but you lived well, you talked well, you loved well, and you became an example of what it means to nurture a congregation and be nurtured. Your esteem in their hearts and minds is earned. And that won't change, brother. Whatever stage of life we're at, whatever age, there will be, always be something. It's like you said, some people may say, oh, he's too old. You know, uh, he doesn't look right. He doesn't dress right. Uh, whatever the case may be. And there'll be temptations to think the way that we get people's esteem is by doing those things Paul would say to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, keep earning it by the way you talk, the way you live, the way you act, the way you love. You've done that with this congregation. We celebrate that today. Keep doing it, brother. Number three, preaching is priority. Your esteem is earned. Number three, your calling is critical. Your calling is critical. Sometimes there won't be any other thing that will get you out of bed in the morning. I know you know this. Or keep you going. Keep you going in the work other than the fact that you have been called by God. And you know what? Your calling isn't determined by whether you get paid for it or whether you got an office or whether you got a title. Um, 
uh, your, your calling is determined by God's uh, sovereign setting you apart and the church's acknowledgement of that and becoming the extension, the arms. I think that's what Paul says. You know, he says, uh, don't neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now, I don't know, you know, if we can equate this with what we call ordination today, but some denominations do that, others don't. But it has been a way of setting an individual part for the service of the work of the ministry. Regardless of whether we read that into this text right here or not, is not the important thing. The important thing is that we, we know that something otherworldly is going on. And it's something that involves both the individual and the congregation. And that's what he says. Practice, he says, uh, don't neglect the gift you've been given uh, by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I know this congregation was not the one that originally ordained you, but they received that ordination. And in time, they've been able to say, we see that. We see that. His life gives evidence of it. You know, DJ, we're in a, um, we're in a crisis in pastoral ministry today. We throw out the numbers of the number of pastorless churches in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, southern states that you think you know, would really be the number of churches that don't have pastors and can't find them. There are fewer men coming to seminary today wanting to be pastors. We're in a crisis. It's one of the things that lights me up about what you're doing here at the mill in training pastors, multiplying pastors, raising up, nurturing. And that's not just you. That's this congregation congregation that is responsible for keeping their eyes and ears open, looking for individuals whose life is giving evidence of this reality. This is a spiritual, supernatural thing that is going on. And I know you would look back over the last 20 years and know there were some days that you would say, the fact that I was called to this is the only thing that keeps me going. Uh, only thing. And that's true. Your calling is absolutely Critical. He'll go on in verse 15 to say, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So all may see there continues to be evidence of this in our, our pastor's uh, life here. Uh, many Bible scholars look at the language that is used here and think that, that, that it, gives, it, it gives a hint that possibly Timothy was at a point himself where he was thinking about holding out on his bowl game of ministry and, and, and maybe throwing in the towel. And Paul is saying, stay in the game, man. And DJ, there's probably some of those days that are still lie ahead for you, brother. Lean into your calling. Lean into it. Go back to that, that God in his sovereign grace set you apart. And a congregation or congregations acknowledged that and said, yes, we see that. Your calling is critical. It has been for 20 years now. It, it has to continue to be critical in your life and your work. And then finally, number four, your integrity is indispensable. Your integrity is indispensable. I'm grateful for the 
maybe renewed emphasis on integrity and a lot of facets of our culture and the business world. Sometimes there seemed to be more talk about it in the church. We've seen that and we see the need for it. Well, it's nothing new. Integrity is a consistency between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. And here particularly, Paul's referring to the consistency between what people see in a guy's public ministry, particularly in his preaching, and, 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 and his heart and his life offline. Notice what he says, verse 16. Keep close watch on yourself. And the verbs and the imperative commands in this passage are incredible. I mean, think about their intense practice in verse 15. Immerse in verse 15. Here in verse 16 now, keep close watch. Verse 14, don't neglect. Verse 13, devote. Verse 11, command and teach. I mean, these are strong words. And he uses this one here when he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Make sure that what people are seeing in this public arena of your preaching and pastoral ministry is it's consistent with what's going on in your soul, what's going on in your heart. And Paul says, keep watch on both of those things. On your doctrine, what you're teaching, but keep watch on your soul. 20 years, DJ, you've done that. You've understood the indispensability that in a day where there are more pastors leaving the ministry, there are more that are being discovered in all kinds of scandal, losing their ministry, uh, destroying churches because of that. Make sure that you remember that your integrity is absolutely indispensable. No matter how well you preach, if what's going on in your soul and your private life is not consistent with that. I want to finish by just tying to these last words because they may have stood out to some of you uh, there in verse 16, the, the stakes that are at play with this. And I want to use this for a challenge to both you, DJ, as well as this congregation. Notice, persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Those words strike you. You know, it'd be real easy for us to hear those words. You'll save both yourself and those who are listening to you. You think, well, wait a sec. Does his integrity, does his, you know, holding on to his calling, does his preaching, his esteem, do those things have anything to do with the forgiveness of our sin? Is Paul talking about, you know, the, the, that aspect of salvation? Of course not. That would be inconsistent with all of the rest of what Paul says in his writing. Your integrity, your preaching, so on, none of those things are, are going to be the thing that saves, obviously, you and saves anybody that listens to you. But, but we know that salvation in Scripture theologically is not just getting your sins forgiven when you, quote, unquote, get saved. But it's something that continues as long as you're alive and then ultimately will be culminated when Jesus comes back again. This is a journey. It, it, it is a journey. And, and, and with that in mind, plug it back in here and think about it. Persist in this for by so doing, you will save yourself 
and your hearers, almost in a culminating statement with all of these here. Timothy's preaching, his esteem before the congregation, his calling, his integrity. Now the apostle Paul says something weighty. He says those things are critical for the continuation of your salvation journey and your growth in Christ-likeness, but they're also critical for the continued growth in the salvation of all of these people that listen to you and follow your leadership every, uh, things that we don't sometimes associate with what it means to be saved or to get saved. Well, they may not be the key to us getting our sins forgiven, but they all are one of the keys to us continuing in our growth and progress in salvation. The ultimate stakes of this may be best expressed in a very neglected verse in Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to this, and let's let this be our challenge as we finish today for both congregation as well as your leaders. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those, and this is, this is what hits me hard right here as a pastor, as those who will have to give an account I don't know when that's going to happen, what it's going to look like exactly in the eschaton, but if I believe my Bible, I know that there is a day coming when that brother right there is going to have to give an account for the souls of the people that are part of the faith family of church at the mill. That's heavy. That's heavy. DJ for 20 years. I think this congregation thinks you've demonstrated that well. But the journey's not over. The journey's not over for you in leading them with characteristics like this in 1 Timothy 4 and certainly other places. But listen, faith family, it's not over for you either. Notice what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them because of this. And then it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would not be to your advantage. This brother stood here and he gave testimony a minute ago that for this first 20 years, you've done that. You've made this a joy for him. And I know he tells you that a lot. And I want to challenge you. Continue to let that be the commentary on your ministry to and with him as you move forward as a faith family and as a congregation, knowing that the stakes are high. The stakes are high on this deal. Pray for him every day because at some point he's going to have to give an account for the condition of your soul. If the condition of your soul is not where it needs to be, use this as an occasion to, by God's grace, Move the ball down the field. Take a step forward. Repentance and sanctification and obedience in service in uh, this church and in its ministry of the gospel. I want to pray for you to that end.
as we finish. Let's bow together. Lord, these are your words. You wrote them, spoke them. Not the Apostle Paul, not the author of Hebrews. As they've rolled off of Pastor DJ's lip, they didn't start with him. These are your words. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part of your work in this world. Thank you for putting your life back inside of us through the resurrection of Christ so that we might progressively be transformed and recreated into your image. I pray you would continue to do that. The men, women, boys, and girls who make up this congregation, continue to do it in this pastor's life, in his family's life. Give them grace. There might be a day down the road where we're looking back and celebrating another installment of the ministry here. Lord, we pray for your strong help with those things. And we thank you again for this pastor and for these people. How evident your grace is in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.